Hey, thank you for taking time to watch this video message. Our prayer for you is that God would use this message in a profound way to impact your life. If you're somebody that's had your life impacted by the ministry here at Crosspoint, we would love for you to share your story with us. Simply send us an email at mystory@crosspointcity.com and let us know about what God has done in your heart. And lastly, if you need more information about the ministry here at Crosspoint, simply go to crosspointcity.com and you can find everything listed there. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, listen, we're starting a brand new series today called Tempted, and we're going to get into the message in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you about a couple of really important things coming up concerning work that our church is involved in overseas. Uh, the first thing is something we mentioned last Sunday, if you were here, this summer in July, we're sending our very first team out of the country to South America, this little country, Bolivia, right in the middle of, of, uh, of that continent, and we're starting a new work there with some friends of ours called Food for the Hungry. We're actually going to work in this community called Alegria for the next 10 years, and our commitment is to be a part of seeing Jesus completely and radically change that community. Now, I'm bringing this back up. Uh, because there are only two spots left for this trip. In a week and a half, we've gotten rid of all of them except for two. And so you can see the info there. It's 2500 bucks after we figured out the plane tickets. So it's a little higher than we hoped it would be. Uh, the date's July 3rd through the 11th. Listen, I- I'm just telling you, you're, you're like almost the last people to hear this today. And so if you want to be a part, like today's the day, okay? Go to crosspointcity.com. Uh, visit our ministries page. You can still beat the six o'clock crowd. Uh, you can get in all right now. So, so do that. The, the link to sign up's there. You can also pay your deposit to secure your spot. So we'd love for you to be a part of this trip. And the other thing I want to tell you about is this. We have a group leaving from Cross Point this upcoming Wednesday to travel all the way across the world to this little country in West Africa that I love so dearly called Burkina Faso. Uh, there's 11 people on this team. Uh, one of our guys, my friend Jay Cusick, he's missing. Miss your beautiful face up there, Jay, but it's all good. But, but 11 people heading out to Burkina uh, to start a new work there with an unreached people group that our church has adopted. And not only are these people unreached, but they're also unengaged. And, and here's what that means. It means that this is a people group who, one, has never heard the name of Jesus. And then secondly, you got to know that no one in the history of the world has ever attempted to get the good news of Jesus to these people. And here's what's overwhelming to me. To think that God would use a church like ours here in little Cartersville, Georgia, to be the ones to go and to name Jesus to these people for the very first time. That is an overwhelming thought to me. Look, I gotta tell you, I'm jealous. I'm not going with these people, but my wife could go into labor any day now, so I need to be home uh, for that. That's kind of a big deal. But look, I want you to commit to pray for these people. They are going into uncharted territory for the very first time. And this upcoming week, people are going to hear a name they've never heard before. And we're praying that that name, Jesus, might radically change their lives. So we're committed to these people. Uh, We're going to be back in October. If you want to go with me, I'll be on that trip. But uh, but pray for these people over the next couple of weeks. And we're actually going to stop and just pray for them together right now as well. And uh, and we're going to pray for our time. Okay, so join me in doing that. God, um... Man, it is overwhelming to think that we are sending people from our church across the world this upcoming week to share the good news of Jesus with people who are absolutely clueless about who you are or what you've done for them. And God, I'm just praying for this team. I know that they've 
been facing a lot in the last couple of weeks, a lot of crazy life stuff, a lot of sickness. Um, God, we know that the enemy doesn't want them going into this uncharted territory, but God, I'm just praying you'd be with them. God, would you just uh, go before them and all that they're getting ready to do this upcoming week? God, would you just uh, put, put um, your hand of protection on their lives and on their families? God, I'm just praying that nothing would stand in the way of what it is that they're getting ready to go do. And so just be with them. Uh, God, would you also continue to burden the rest of our hearts uh, with this people group that we're going to work with? God, I know we've never met them. Uh, God, we don't know their names, but we know that they desperately need you. And God, I pray that that would be enough for us to think about them, to pray for them. And uh, God, to constantly ask you to do something that would change them and, and the communities that they live in. Uh, God, as we open your word tonight, I'm just praying that you would be in our midst. God, we know that you're here, but God, we don't want to just know that you're here. We want to experience you being here. God, we want to taste your goodness. We want to experience your touch. We want to hear you speak loudly and clearly to us. And so, God, I'm just asking you to do a work in this place tonight, and we're trusting you for that. God, we love you, and we thank you for your great love for us, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you've been here in the last couple of weeks, you've heard us telling you that in this new series we're starting tonight, Tempted, we are setting out over the next four weeks to answer one big question. And here is the question. How do I say no to sin when I want to say yes? Now, look, this is such an important question, isn't it? And it's an important question for many different reasons that we'll cover over the next few weeks. But I'll give you one of the reasons right now. Look, it's important because every single person sitting in this room tonight needs to know the answer to that question, don't we? There's not a single person here at 4.30, including this guy on the stage, who doesn't struggle at times to say yes to sin that we should be saying no to. Am I right? Look, even if you're the churchiest, holiest person in the room... I'm confident that if you were honest with God, with yourself, and the rest of us, you'd say that even you struggle to say yes to sin at times. But, but look, here's the good news. It doesn't really matter who you are or what struggles you might have brought with you tonight. There are answers to be found regarding this question. And the only thing we need to do to find the answers that we need is look to Jesus. L listen, do you know that Jesus, while he was here on the earth, was tempted in every way just as we are? Here's the only difference between him and us. Jesus never said yes to temptation. He never gave in. He, he never sinned. And because that's true, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 2.18 that Jesus has the ability and the power to help us when we're being tempted. And so all we're going to do over the course of this series is this. We're simply going to look to Jesus for the help we need in answering this big question. So if you have a Bible or a version app ready to go on a device I want you to go to Matthew chapter 4 with me. Matthew chapter 4, this is the passage in which we find the famous temptation of Jesus. And tonight, to kick off the series, we're really just going to work through two verses. But these two verses are going to raise and answer some big questions that are really going to lay the foundation we need to answer that question really well over the coming weeks. And so uh, Matthew 4, if you're already there, that's great. If you don't have a Bible, then you can follow along on the screens. But we're going to start reading in verse 1. Here, here's what the Bible says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, 
He was hungry. Now look, I don't want you to forget about these verses because we're going to keep coming back to these throughout our time together. Um, But if you're taking notes, I want to give you a question to write down. This is the first question that we're going to answer. What is temptation? What is temptation? We just read in verse 1 that Jesus was out in the desert being tempted by the devil. We acknowledged a few moments ago that you and I as people, we all face temptation. But what in the world does that word really mean? Well, in my humble opinion, we find the best answer to that question just by going to the Bible. There's this passage in James 1, it's verses 13 and 14, that answers this question for us beautifully. Read this. It says, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, I'm going to hit the pause button for just a moment, and I really want us to catch this, all right? Did you see what James just said? That God doesn't tempt us. And God, because he's holy and perfect, he cannot be tempted by evil or sin. That's really important for us to understand that as we're talking about what temptation is. And here's why. Because the Bible does teach in places that God will test us. That he'll allow us to face certain things in our lives that test our love for him, our devotion to him, and our dependency upon him. And this is exactly what God did for Jesus in Matthew 4. I don't know if you caught this, but the Bible said that it was the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God that actually led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Look, don't miss this. Even though God wasn't the one tempting Jesus, he did allow Jesus to face temptation as a test. Now, I want you to hear me. Look, the distinction between testing and tempting is huge. While testing is meant to lead us into deeper fellowship with God and, and it's, it's meant to grow us up spiritually. Temptation is meant to lead us into nothing more than evil and darkness. And we'll talk more about that later on tonight. But, but I want you to understand something significant. Look, if God knows that facing certain temptations are going to deepen your faith in him and your dependency upon him, he might allow you to face certain temptations at times. That's really important for us to understand. Look, keep reading. In verse 14, James goes on, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. There's temptation. That's the answer to our question. James gives us a beautiful picture of what temptation is, and I love this. He uses fishing language to do so. I don't know if you guys love to fish like I do, but but if you do, you're going to get this, okay? Think about fishing. While catching fish can prove to be difficult at times, the concept of fishing is really easy, isn't it? You put a lure or a piece of bait on the end of a line, you throw it into the water, and you hope, right, hoping, that's a part of fishing, by the way, you hope that that lure or that piece of bait is going to entice the fish to bite. And once he's bitten the hook, well, then you have him trapped. Look at me, if you're taking notes, write this down. That's what temptation is. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's when Satan lures us or entices us into a trap by using our own desires against us. And listen, can I just tell you that Satan knows exactly what desires in your life to go after in order to trap you? He he knows if you're that person that struggles with lust. He knows if you struggle with greed, if you struggle with fear or worry or doubt. And what he's gonna do is play on those desires that you feel weak in in order to trap you. This is exactly what he did with Jesus, right? We're gonna see uh, more of this next Sunday. But in verse 2, remember what we read? That after Jesus went to the desert, he was being tempted. He didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. Look at me. Guess what Satan did? You want to know the area that he went after him in? 
He attacked him in his hunger. Bro, why don't you just turn these bread to stones, bro, or these stones to bread, and, and you can eat. You can satisfy yourself. And he does the same to us constantly. constantly. Now, look, before we move on, there's a couple things I want you to know about temptation, all right? This is important stuff, so write it down. If you take a notes first, I want you to know that temptation and sin are not the same things. They're not the same things. If they were the same, that would mean Jesus was a sinner, and we'd all be in big trouble, right? But, but thank God Jesus isn't a sinner because, again, temptation and sin aren't the same things. Now, here's what that means. It means that you might be enticed to say yes to sin at certain times that, that you need to say no to. You might be enticed to look at pornography. You might be enticed to, to have an affair, to sleep with someone you're not married to. You may be enticed to, to lie, to cheat, to steal, to gossip, to slander. You might be enticed to overindulge in food or, or some kind of substance. But look... Just because you're enticed or tempted to do a certain thing doesn't mean that you're in sin. Look, sin occurs when you take the bait. Sin occurs when you bite. Sin occurs when you act on temptation. Now, the second thing you got to know is this, and it's really important. Look, the devil cannot make you sin. You understand that? You and I, we choose to sin. All the devil does is tempts us. That's it. He does what James 1.14 says. He puts the bait in front of us in hopes that our own desires will carry us away into the trap that he set. But you and I, we have a choice in whether or not we say yes. Now that should give us great encouragement. Here's why. Because if we're ultimately the ones responsible for saying yes to sin, it means that we have the option to say no. It means that you and I, man, we're not powerless against the enemy in our life. We can avoid his traps. And what we're going to do over the course of this series is learn how to do that. And so I want you to make sure that you're back week after week because this is really, really important stuff. The next question, if you're taking notes, we're going to answer is this. All right, who's trying to trap us? Who's trying to trap us? Now, I get some of you, right? You're already looking at this going, wasted question, bro. We've already been answering that, James. It's the devil. Let's move on. But look, I know, I know, I know that you know that it's the devil. Uh, Matthew 4, 1 told us it's the devil that was tempting Jesus. That's who tempts us. But here's my question. Do you really know who he is? I know, I know you're the one that, or you know that he's the one trying to trap you. But do you understand what's true about him? If you don't, I want to tell you what the Bible teaches us about him because it's so important. Uh, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God had created him uh, originally as an angel. His name was Lucifer. Uh, he was basically the worship leader of heaven. And over time, Lucifer grew proud in his heart. And he didn't just want to be like God. He actually wanted to be God himself. And so he decided to rebel along with a third of the angels. And, and God eventually cast him and, and those angels out of heaven. And those angels are whom we now refer to today as demons. When you read the Bible, you find all kinds of descriptions for the devil. Listen to this. The Bible says he's the ruler of demons, the ruler of this world, the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He's the great dragon, the vile one, the tempter, the accuser, the spirit working in the sons of disobedience. 52 times he's called Satan, which means adversary. 35 times he's called the devil, which means slanderer. The Bible also tells us that the devil, he's very smart, he's very crafty, and that he and his demons hate God and that they hate the people of God. Now, the reason that it's so important for us to understand what's true about him is simple. 
because it helps to provide us great clarity on this next question that we're going to answer together. Why in the world is the devil trying to trap us? Why is he coming after us like he is? When I was a kid, I grew up in this neighborhood where there was a creek kind of ran right behind our house, and, and there were frogs and turtles everywhere. So my friends and I, we used to go trap them all the time. We'd catch them, we'd put them in boxes or in fish tanks, and we would do our best to feed them and to take care of them and to keep them alive. It worked out most of the time. But, uh, but listen, here's what I want you to know. That's not why Satan is trying to trap you. Do you know that he has no interest in keeping you as a pet? He doesn't want to ensure that you're well taken care of. And his, de- his desire is, is not to help you live and to lead an enjoyable life. Instead, the Bible teaches that he wants to trap you so that he can destroy you. We find this truth uh, spoken about in places like 1 Peter 5.8, that the devil, he is like a prowling lion, a roaring lion, prowling around, always looking for someone to devour. In John 10.10, Jesus calls the devil a thief, and he says that he has one goal in life, to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy us. And I'm just telling you, Jesus should know because it's exactly what the devil tried to do to him in Matthew chapter 4. Look, do you know that Jesus' temptation that we're reading about tonight, we're going to study over the next few weeks, happened between two significant moments in his life? It took place between his baptism and the start of his public ministry. So think about that with me. Jesus publicly identifies himself with God the Father, and then his plan is to set out to heal the lame, to cause the blind to see, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to preach repentance and God's coming kingdom. And it's in between those two moments that the devil comes after Jesus relentlessly. And do you want to know why? He wanted to destroy him. He wanted to derail God's plans for his life. You see, he knew that if he could get Jesus to fall into temptation, to say yes to sin, that Jesus would be unable to save sinners like you and me, and we'd be all in big trouble because We'd be on our way to hell right now. He also knew that if Jesus fell into temptation, that he would steal honor and glory that that God deserved, not only from Jesus' life, but from the lives of all those who would one day place their faith and trust in him. Now look, here's why that's so important for us to understand. Because it reminds us that oftentimes, please don't miss this, that oftentimes temptation is the strongest in our lives when we go public with our faith, or when we decide to take steps of faith in order to make a difference in our world for the kingdom of God. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've experienced this, haven't you? Right? You, you signed up. I'm going to follow Jesus. You give your life to him. Uh, you climb in a tub like, like my man Justice did earlier. You get baptized. And you start telling people what God's done in your life. And, and all of a sudden, temptation grows stronger than it had ever been before. Or maybe you're that person that decided, you know what, I'm, I'm done just kind of sitting around and doing nothing significant, so uh, I'm actually going to serve in a ministry. I'm going to get in a group. I'm going to start investing financially in my church and in God's kingdom. I'm going to go serve in Burkina or in Bolivia. I'm going to invest in people at my job and my neighborhood so that I can serve them and share Jesus with them. And you started taking those steps of faith out of a true desire to make a difference in this world for the kingdom of God, and all of a sudden temptation grew stronger than it had ever been before. Look, I think it's easy for us to believe at times that if we will wholeheartedly commit our lives to Jesus and follow him, that our desires for sin will grow weaker immediately. And can I just tell you that's not true? Look, you can learn to kill your desire for sin. 
And we're going to talk about how to do that over the course of this series. But I just want to tell you, man, when you sign up to follow Jesus, your desires for sin don't just grow weaker immediately. Most oftentimes they grow stronger, and here's why. Because when you commit your life to making a difference for the sake of Christ, you literally put a target on your back for the enemy. He's going to come after you. And his goal is to trap you so that he can then destroy you. Church, listen to me. This is why you and I should never take sin or temptation lightly. It's bigger than you just breaking a command or or doing a bad thing. It's about you stepping into a trap that the enemy has set for you in order to destroy your life so that he can steal from both you and God. That's why he's trying to trap you, and it's important for you to know that. Now, the last question that that we're going to answer is this, and we're going to spend some time here, okay? This question is going to help us to begin to understand how to say no to sin when we desperately want to say yes. This is the question. How in the world does the devil trap us? In other words, how does he persuade us or convince us to say yes to sin when we should be saying no? Well, I want to tell you he does three things in particular. And these three things he's been doing since the beginning of time. The devil doesn't have a deep playbook and he's not changing his game plan from day to day. He keeps doing the same three things over and over and over again. And the reason he keeps doing them is because they just keep working. But look, here's the great news. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us that our enemy cannot outwit us if we are aware of his schemes. And so in order to make us aware tonight, we're going to talk about the three schemes that he uses in order to trap us, all right? So if you take notes, this is great stuff to write down. First, he questions our identity. He questions our identity. And he'll do this in one of two ways, all right? First, he'll try to make us believe that we are less than who we are. And you find a great picture of this in Jesus' example, all right? If you go back to Matthew chapter three and and you read about Jesus' baptism, Uh, It's this beautiful picture of Jesus coming out of the water and God the Father speaks from heaven over his son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He speaks that over Jesus. And then Jesus heads out to the desert. And do you know what the very first thing Satan says to him is? If you are the son of God. He calls his identity into question in a very demeaning manner. And look at me, he does this to us all the time, doesn't he? He wants us to wander into question if we're truly loved sons and daughters of God. I mean, we just talked about this for five weeks during our Daddy Series issues, our, our Daddy Issues series. The reason he wants us to forget who we are as loved sons and daughters of God is simple. Because he knows that if we forget, we're going to feel weak, powerless, and helpless anytime we're staring temptation in the face. If we forget who we are because of Jesus, if we forget that God is our Father, Jesus is our Savior, the Holy Spirit is our helper, then we are going to feel powerless against the schemes of our enemy. And at that point, he's going to trap us and he's going to destroy us. So that's the first way he calls our identity into question. The second way is this, though. Um, He will oftentimes cause us to believe that we're more important than who we are. And I want to give you a picture of this, all right? If you can go back to Genesis 3, read this on your own time this week. Uh, This is the story of when sin first entered the world. And I'm going to touch on this a few times in the next few minutes because, again, I want you to see these are the schemes he's been using since the beginning of time. He comes to Eve in Genesis 3, and uh, he questions her on God's command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you're familiar with the story, do you remember what Satan says to Eve eventually? Like she tells him, God told us not to eat from this tree or or else we're going to die. And you remember what he says in response? 
He says, Eve, listen to me. You're not going to die. God just knows if you eat, you're going to be like him. And with that statement, do you know what Satan was implying to Eve? He was literally saying to her, Eve, you deserve to be like him. Who is God to keep you from what you want to do? Eve, don't you settle for being an image bearer of God in this world. Eve, you deserve to be God-like yourself. And doesn't the enemy preach that over us all the time? Man, you need to be the God of your own life. You should be able to do whatever it is you want to do when you want to do it without anybody standing in your way, including God himself. Do you want to know why he preaches that message to us? It's simple. He knows if we start believing that we're more important than who we are, that we will refuse to submit to God's authority in our lives. And and at that point, he can trap us. And when he's trapped us, he's going to destroy us. So look, knowing that that's true, the first question that we have to learn to ask ourselves when we face temptation is this. Who am I? Who am I? Look at me. When temptation is staring you in the face, And you want to say yes to that thing in your life that you should be saying no to. You've got to ask this question, who am I? And you've got to let this question remind you, you know what? I'm not less than who I am. I'm not some person that God despises and is simply putting up with. I'm not some slave that God is a dictator over. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm loved by him. He's my father. Jesus is my brother and my savior. And the Holy Spirit is my helper. And because that's true, I have everything that I need in this moment to say no to temptation. But look, some of us, we need to ask this question to remind ourselves that we're not more important than we are. We need to ask this question to remind ourselves, I'm not God. I don't need to be him. And look at me, you don't deserve to be him. You get that, right? Look, I'm sure that some of us in this room, man, we know what it's like to play God over our own lives, don't we? And I'm sure that if we could get on this stage and and talk to the rest of us, we would say, don't go down that road. When you try to play God over your own life, it always ends badly. It always ends in destruction. Ask this question and be clear about your identity. And every day live out of that identity that is yours because of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, it'll become easier to say no to sin when you desperately want to say yes. The next scheme that the enemy uses against us in order to trap us is this. He he confuses our desires. And here's the idea. Satan will at times take natural God-given desires and he will confuse them in hopes uh, that will act upon them in sinful God-dishonoring ways. And oftentimes he causes us to do that by confronting us with two questions. Here they are. What do you want and why don't you have it? What do you want and why don't you have it? I'll give you a picture of this, again, by going back to Eve. And we see this with Jesus as well, okay? But with Eve specifically, Satan, again, he comes to her, questions her about the tree. Uh, she says back to him, God said if we eat it, we're going to die. And Satan, again, responds, you're not going to die. God just knows you're going to be like him. And, and when you keep reading that passage, the Bible goes on to say that, that Eve sees the fruit of the tree and that she desired it. And I have to think that that, that conversation with Satan planted a thought in her mind, which was, I want that thing. And the only reason I don't have it is because God's standing in my way. Look at me, he preaches that over us all the time. We'll see this over the course of this series. This is why he came to Jesus and he said things like, Jesus, why are you hungry, bro? Why is your stomach growling, man? 
Why are you still dealing with hunger pains? Jesus, come here, come here, come here. Let me show you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus, why aren't these yours? Why don't they belong to you, man? And he preaches this to us all the time, doesn't he? Like, we, we get it. Some of us get it. The enemy, he'll say things to us like this. What you want is sexual pleasure, so why don't you have it? I mean, what kind of God would put a desire like that inside of you and then expect you not to act on it? That's a pretty sadistic God to do something like that to you, isn't it? I mean, that's evil. What, what in the world is he trying to do? Look, just go ahead, give in. Look at pornography. Have the affair. Don't worry about it, man. Go ahead and sleep with a person that you're not married to. You've got to act on them, man. Don't let God stand in the way of what you want. He'll say to others of us at times, what you want is admiration and popularity, so why don't you have it? All those people that are, that are living a life contrary to the one you're trying to live, they have admiration. People know them. Why don't you just live how they're living? Do what they're doing. And, and maybe if you do the things that they're doing and, and kind of give in, that people will know your name. What kind of God would put a desire like that inside of you and then expect you not to act on it? Uh, still to others of us, he might say something like this. What you want is more money and more stuff. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Why don't you have more money and more stuff? Be a little greedy. Indulge. Step on other people to get to where you want to be in life. Please, whatever you do, don't buy into that whole generosity thing. Don't be giving your money and stuff away. I mean, why would you do that? Why in the world would God put a desire for more money and more stuff inside of you and then expect you not to act on it, man? Act on it. Do not let him stand in your way. What do you want and why don't you have it? It's all because of him. It's all because of him. Look, don't miss this. Can I just tell you that all those desires that live inside of you are not wrong in and of themselves, those desires that, that you and I all have, desires for sexual pleasure, for financial security, for admiration, for popularity, none of those are wrong. In fact, God put those desires inside of us. And when we act upon them correctly, they can actually be used to honor God and to help people. But when we act upon them incorrectly in sinful ways, here's what happens. Those desires start to master us. And once they master us, there is no satisfying them. Can I just tell you, sin has an insatiable appetite. You can never feed it enough. It's why some of us, and, and again, you're going to get this. It's why some of us will say things like, well, tomorrow is the day that I'm finally going to put this whole pornography thing to death, and then tomorrow comes and we're still indulging it. It's why some of us will say things like, you know what, once I get a little bit more money, then I'll start being more generous, and then we get more money, and, and we hold on to it more tightly than we ever have before. It's just because as you feed sinful desires, they want to keep being fed. And as you feed them, here's all you're doing. You're just giving the enemy more room to work in your life. And the more room he has to work, the more able he is to destroy you. And look at me, knowing that that's true, here's the second question we have to learn to ask when, face, when facing temptation. What do I want most? What do I want most? Here's the encouragement. Temptation's staring you in the face and you want to say Yes. But you know you need to be saying no. You've got to ask yourself this question. What do I want most? Do I really want to be lured away by these good, God-given desires? Do I want to step into the trap that the enemy has set for me in order to destroy my life so that he can steal from me and steal from God? Or is what I want most to use these God-given desires in ways that honor him and help people so that I can experience life that he's created me and saved me to live. What in the world do I truly want most? Now, the final thing, the last thing, this is the third strategy that Satan uses in order to trap us. He conceals sin's consequences. 
Conceal sin's consequences. But let me ask you a few questions, all right? If you have small children like I do, would you ever give your kids a box of matches and turn them loose to play with those things in the middle of your living room floor? You'd never do that, and why? Well, because you can envision your house burning to the ground, can't you? Uh, would you ever, during rush hour traffic, get out of your car on I-75 and take a leisurely walk down the interstate? Would you do that? And know why? Well, because you can envision getting taken out by the guy in the minivan. Uh, one more. Would you ever consider walking into your job on a Monday morning and throat-punching your boss in a crazed fit of anger? Would you ever do that? Some of us go, I think I might. Don't do it. Look, man. Be like Jesus. Love people in spite of them, okay? Don't, don't do that. Why wouldn't you ever do it? Well, because you can envision losing a job, going to jail, and eventually being homeless, right? We would never do the things that I just described because we all understand the consequences of doing so. Now, look, please don't miss this. Here's what's so terrifying about sin and temptation. Oftentimes, the enemy has a unique way of blinding us to the consequences of sin. He will work to cause us to forget about the future implications of saying yes to sin so that we will say yes to the pleasure that sin brings in the present moment. This is the card he tried to play with Eve. Eve, just eat, just eat, just eat. The consequences are not gonna be what you think they are. Jesus, again, turn the stones to bread. Cast yourself down from here. Jesus, bow down to me. Don't worry about the consequences. Live for the moment. And doesn't our enemy preach the same thing over us day in and day out? Look, he'll even work at times to convince us that the consequences of our sins are somehow going to be different than the consequences of sin that others have faced by giving in to the same temptation and sin we're struggling with. Again, this is why you have those people, men, who, who believe all day long that they can keep their family, keep their kids, uh, keep their character, keep life the way that it's always been while having this relationship on the side. They, they really believe, you know, I'm never going to get caught and nothing's really going to change. It's, it's why people believe, you know what, I can steal from my company all day long. It ain't going to matter. Other people get caught. Other people uh, lose jobs and go to prison over stuff like this, but not me. I, I'm going to be safe. It's why people struggle all their lives with, with substance abuse and addiction. I got people in my family, man, in this boat, and they'll say things like this, right? Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've said this if you're this person who struggles. Uh, this kind of stuff ruins other people's lives, but it ain't going to ruin mine. I can quit any time I want. Sound familiar? I'll quit tomorrow if I want to quit tomorrow. Look at me. I want you to hear me. Please don't miss this. And I'm saying this because I love you. I want you to know sin always has consequences. Always. Some are temporal. Some are eternal. And what you and I can't ever do is believe the lie that our sin has no consequences simply because we haven't faced them or because we haven't gotten caught just yet. Do you know that this is one of the ways that our enemy keeps us trapped into sin? He'll actually keep us safe for a while. He'll work to help us cover up whatever it is we're doing for a season, but I want you to know it's all part of his master plan to wreck your life. In one of the books I'm reading for this series, the writer Russell Moore, he makes this point. Look at this, this is so powerful. He says, the demonic powers will not only give us what we crave, but they'll assist us in covering it over for a little while. And that's precisely the irony. Often you're fueled on from one temptation to the other because you haven't been caught. The powers, though, don't want you to get caught. Not yet. 
They're patient and quite willing to wait until your downfall will bring with it the most catastrophic consequences for you, for your family, for the kingdom of God, and to the image of Christ you carry. And so they'll help you cover it all up, and then they'll expose you mercilessly. You'll never see it coming around the bend. Look, knowing that this is true, and knowing that sin always has consequences. The third question that we've got to learn to ask when we're facing temptation, when we want to say yes to that thing we should be saying no to is this. What could I lose by saying yes? What could I lose by saying yes? Could I, could I lose my marriage? Could I lose my kids? Could I lose my job? Could I lose my freedom? Could I lose my character? Could I lose my reputation? Most importantly, look, could I lose my ability to influence others for the sake of Christ? Could I lose opportunities to make a difference in this world for the kingdom of God? This is such an important question because our answers to it remind us of what I've already been teaching. That temptation is nothing more than a trap set by the enemy in order to destroy us so that he can steal from both us and God. And look, when you understand that, it becomes so much easier to say no to sin when you want to say yes. Now, look, in closing, I want to go ahead and acknowledge, I get that messages like the one tonight can feel kind of heavy and even depressing. But look at me, I don't want you to leave depressed, hopeless, feeling all heavy. I want you to leave tonight hopeful and encouraged. And I don't care what you've done, the mistakes you've made, the struggles uh, that you've given into, the struggles that you might have walked in the room with. I want you to know that no matter who you are, what you've done, or what you're doing right now, presently in life, there is hope to be found, and here's why. The Bible tells us in James chapter four, verse seven. This is a great verse, by the way. You need to memorize this. It's an easy one. James four, verse seven tells us that if we will submit ourselves to God and resist our enemy, the devil, that he will flee from us. What a beautiful promise, right? Look, if we will come under God's authority as our good, loving father who truly wants the best for us, if we'll obey his commands laid out in the scriptures and do life his way, and we'll ask ourselves the three questions that I've given you tonight when we're facing temptation. Who am I? What do I want most? And what can I lose by saying yes? And, and remind ourselves of what temptation is and then say to our enemy, thanks but no thanks, bro. Don't what once you're selling. The Bible says he'll flee. He'll run in the opposite direction. Now look, he's always gonna come back which is why you gotta keep submitting. You gotta keep answering those questions for yourself and you gotta keep resisting the enemy. But every time you do those things, he'll leave you. Now here's why that should encourage us. Because again, it reminds us that whenever we are yielded to God as our Father, that the enemy has absolutely no power in our lives. The only power he has over us is the power that we give him. And so right now, man, we're just gonna close tonight by by praying and asking God for the help we need in remaining submitted and surrendered to him so that we can see temptation for what it is, resist our enemy, and overcome his schemes to destroy our lives. And look, before you bow your heads, look, I don't want you just to pray for yourself in the next few minutes. I want you to pray for the other people sitting in this room. And here's why I want you to do that, because oftentimes we preach sin and temptation and stuff like this, I think the enemy has a way of convincing us, you're the only one. Everybody else in this room, they're probably fine, but you, you're jacked up, man. Don't be telling anybody what's going on in your life. Don't ask for prayer. Don't speak a word of it. What are people gonna think of you? Can I just tell you, when we start praying for each other, 
it reminds us that we're not alone in our struggles. Can I just tell you, Satan sets traps for all of us, including this guy on the stage. I think a lot of times when, when you come to church, you might assume that oh, when I get up and teach, man, just because I'm teaching this stuff, I got it all figured out. James probably never struggles. You know what a joke that is? You know, I got to say no to sin and temptation, just like you have to say no to sin and temptation. I'm going to pray for you, but I'm telling you, I need you to pray for me as well. We're all in this thing together. So don't throw a pity party in your seat and only think about what's going on in your life. Pray for the people around you and ask God to free them as well. Will you do that? Join me. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together.